This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 118 of GoToGrandma. This episode is airing November 11th, 2023. I'm your GoToGrandma, Kathy Buckworth, and as usual, we have a show full of fun and facts that today's grandparents need to know about. I started this show to grow the community of new grandparents and to share our wisdom, not only from the experts that I have on the show, but also between grandparents. I hope I've been doing that for the past couple of years, and I'm so happy to share another podcast today that's been doing the same thing for the past five years. Today, we'll meet Emily and Mike Morgan, the hosts of the Grand Life Podcast. We'll learn about why Emily started the podcast... I'm sure the fact that they have 11 grandchildren might have something to do with it and why Mike decided to add his voice as well. Grandparents are a vital part of their grandchildren's lives, as we know, but even more so when a grandchild has a physical or intellectual disability. Lisa Thornbury is the host of A Very Bright Life podcast, where she chronicles the life of her family and her daughter, Avery, who is in the disability community. We talked on episode 11 about how grandparents can support these grandkids, and today we're going to go a bit deeper on it with Lisa as she guides us through how Avery's grandparents are a part of her epilepsy journey as well. It will be a very illuminating discussion. Then, as this show is airing on Remembrance Day, we are revisiting a Take 5 with RBC interview with John Fleet, who told me about his transition from military life to civilian life. It's a reminder of how much we value those who serve our country and how we can support them when they return to us. If you're listening to me in the car, thanks. If you're listening to me on a walk or a run, good for you. If you're listening to me at your kitchen table, enjoy your coffee and let's get started. Emily and Mike Morgan of the Grand Life Podcast are up first. Mike and Emily Morgan are the creators and co-hosts of the Grand Life Podcast, a podcast about wholehearted and intentional grandparenting. Over the four and a half years of the Grand Life, they have interviewed over 100 grandparents who are activists, artists, movie directors, writers, and many extraordinary, ordinary grandmothers and grandfathers. They are parents to four adults and grandparents to 11 grandchildren, some of whom live very close by and others who live halfway across the United States. Good morning, Mike and Emily Morgan. Thanks so much for being on GoToGrandma. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Um, I love your podcast. You've been doing it, I think, for about four and a half, five years. So you have way more experience doing this than I do. You also have 11 grandchildren, so eight more than me. So you are the pros on grandparenting and grandparenting podcasting. What motivated you to start a podcast about grandparenting, Emily? Well, first of all, it's not a competition. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a community. <laughs> exactly. It's a community. And actually, just to be exactly right, we have one grandchild on the way. She was due on the 25th, and she isn't here yet. Oh. So we are <laughs> anxiously awaiting 10. for the call. 10.97 oh, grandchildren. There you go. Okay. <laughs> you were rounding up. I get it. <laughs> yeah. But let's see. What got us going on this podcast? Uh, well, um, we both have done radio uh, together. From the very start, when we first met each other, I like to say that I fell in love not with radio, but with Mike's voice. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the start. And then, uh, you know, as we got older, we started to think about other thing, projects that we could do together as a married couple, because that always provides good bonding. Mm-hmm. And you started mentoring some young moms at a church who kept coming up to you and saying, I wish somebody would tell my mom this. 
meaning right. the grandmother of their grandchildren. Uh, and so it was listening, for, I'm speaking for you now, yeah. listening to those young moms talk about the things that they wish their parents knew to be really superb or even not, you know, messing mm-hmm. up on things. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Forget about the superb. It's like, just stop doing whatever. Exactly. Oh, that's and I great. think that's what triggered your interest in doing that. Yes. Absolutely. And and that was, you know, that was the beginning of it. That was the idea. And then we kind of just played around with it. And it's been a lot of fun. I've been producing audio for decades. Yeah. Both personal, volunteer, corporate level. So it was easy for me to slip into having her be a writer host and me being only the producer. But about uh, a year ago, we changed that. So now both of us co-host. Yeah, it right. works on so many levels for both of you. It's like the perfect thing for you both to do. But podcasts today weren't the same as podcasts, you know, four or five years ago when you both started this, or Emily, when I guess when you were the voice of it. So how has listening to podcasts changed for the grandparent community since you began? Well, yeah, we are seeing an uptick, mm-hmm. but it's slow. Um, we still need to get people to listen to podcasts, especially people of our age or of a certain age. Um, sometimes when I talk to people about our podcast, they say, oh, I don't even, I don't even know how to do that. That's what they say. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a learning curve for people our age. And, and as, as we have a group of grandparents who are growing in number because younger people who might have better social media skills become older people and become grandparents, there's going to be this natural evolution of an audience. I guess maybe we're in a hurry for that to happen (laughs) because we have these things we want to talk about, and we've got these episodes that are here now, almost 150 of them now. And so we want people to uh, sort of plug into the notion of intentional grandparenting. Well, I guess that's the great thing about having it up on the podcast is that people can, if they're new to your show, they can go back and find all of these great episodes. They're still there. As you say, 150 of them. I'm just flipping through some of the categories, and they're they're just, they range from everything from, I guess, helping kids through divorce, grandparent burnout, um, distance, not distant, um, some great topics that, you're right, grandparents need to know about. And I know in Canada, the average age to become a grandparent is 51 for women and 54 for men. Um, so that is that Gen X, you know, that is that Gen X group that's coming up into grandparenting now. Yeah. And so they don't, you know, you don't have to explain that to them as much. So I'm hoping with our catalog that people will get on board and start listening to it. And they have lots of listening opportunities. Should be good for you and for us, right? I hope so. Yes, exactly. And actually, while my show is called Go To Grandma, because I'm the grandma, and I do have a lot of grandmas on, but I do have granddads on. And Mike, you joined the show um, a little while ago. What was the idea there about changing the format and having the voice of granddad? Well, we started looking at what are the kinds of, what are the styles of podcasts that are the most popular? And since we don't have, like, outrageous celebrity in our corner, we can't, like... (laughs) Uh, we can't we can't play the card that says we're famous people and also grandparents. You know you, what you notice is that talk type conversations tend to be among the most popular styles of podcasts. And we had some input that said you know don't be afraid to reveal who it is that you are mm-hmm. uh, and to be more human and personal and maybe less of a reporter or a just the facts kind of a thing. We started out the podcast wanting it to sound like radio journalism. We have ended up thinking that something more like a talk show is, is maybe, it maybe goes down easier. It's maybe easier to listen to. And I think, uh, I think the, the numbers have borne that out. We were as popular as we've ever been. And uh, we have a conversation, kind of an open one, really, yeah. about what it is like for our 
uh, grandparenting uh, activities, you know, without trying to reveal too much about our grandkids mm-hmm. who are, you know, want to want to retain some sense of privacy on their own. Yeah, and Emily, I think you know what Mike just said resonates with me too as a grandma or as a granddad. In that, if we're going through it personally, chances are a lot of our peers are going through it as well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, it doesn't hurt that Mike has such a nice voice. Of course, I'm a little bit prejudiced about that. But I I do think it's fun to go back and forth. And and we also look at things from such a different perspective. I mean, I look at these issues that we're all dealing with from a grandmother perspective, and he looks Mm -hmm. at it from a grandfather perspective. And they are different. They do. uh, And we talk about that. Yeah, I think they are different. I agree with you. And I had the opportunity to be on your podcast. That's going to be in an upcoming episode. We just chatted a few days ago. And you guys challenged me so much about being a Canadian, which I absolutely loved because, of course, you're, you're podcasting out of the U.S. Um, you asked me some tricky questions about not only the metric system, but also apparently we have a great reserve of maple syrup. That is like our gold bars up here. So that was a lot of yes. that was a lot of fun. And I think we talked a lot about the differences. But one thing we all have in common is our love for our grandkids, of course, and trying to build a strong community of, as you say, wholehearted grandparenting. Yeah, we had so much fun having you on. And, you know, it's fun to talk to another grandparent because, again, we all have different, we have different ideas, but but we are living in the same kind of world. Absolutely, and you've inspired me. I have talked to other grandparents in the U.S., but I haven't really gone beyond that. I think it would be really interesting for both of us maybe to get grandparents on from around the world. Absolutely. Oh, that would be so right? fun. I would love that. I would love that, too. Yeah, there is there is actually something called the Grandmother Collective. We had her oh. on, Lindsay Farrell, not too long ago. And that whole Grandmother Collective, collective is uh, just kind of becoming something. It's just kind of going underneath, and I think it will kind of become something. started in Africa, but it's going global. Yeah. That's amazing. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Again, if you want to listen to Mike and Emily, which why would you not? They are at the Grand Life podcast, and you can find hundred, almost 150 episodes of them sharing their great wisdom. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great to talk with you. After her daughter was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder and epilepsy, Lisa Thornbury made the decision to leave her job as a teacher to work from home and care for her daughter. She dedicates herself to advocating for families facing the challenges of supporting loved ones living with developmental disabilities. Lisa shares her insights and experiences through her blog and on her mother-daughter podcast, A Very Bright Life. Good morning, Lisa Thornbury. Thanks so much for coming back on GoToGrandma. I didn't scare you the first time. Maybe a little, but I'm back. Yeah, you're back. <laughs> and you always have such great information. Of course, you are the host of the A Very Bright Life podcast, which is a play on your daughter's name, Avery, whom we're going to be speaking a little bit about today because Avery actually um, experiences epilepsy. And I know there's grandparents out there who might be in a position of having a grandchild with this condition and, and really want to get some information and some facts. So, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your personal experience with epilepsy. Well, sure. I'm happy to talk about it. So our daughter, Avery, as you mentioned, was diagnosed with a pretty rare chromosome disorder when she was just a baby. And it was a total surprise. And we were completely overwhelmed. There wasn't really a lot of information about her syndrome at that time. because This was like 17 years ago. So mm-hmm. they didn't know yet, or maybe they just didn't tell us at that point that epilepsy was part of her chromosome three deletion. So when she had her first seizure and it was a doozy, it was a total shock. She started having more and more seizures when she was about three 
and they were they were pretty devastating. So most of them happened at night, and a lot of them were status epileptic seizures, which are seizures that last for 30 minutes or longer, and they usually require some kind of medical intervention to make them stop. So, yeah, we called ambulances a lot in the early days, and Avery spent quite a bit of time in the hospital, and it took about a year or so, but her neurologist finally figured out the best sort of combination of anti-seizure meds that worked well for her. So it kept her seizures pretty much under control. And we also have rescue meds um, that we can use at home to try to stop any of the longer lasting seizures ourselves. We've only had to use them a few times, but I do not go anywhere without them. And I can talk a little bit more about those later on if you like. Sure. And I, th- and I think most of us think we sort of know what epilepsy is, but we probably don't really know too much about it. So what are some of the facts and myths about epilepsy that we should know? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about it until, you know, we were in it. Mm-hmm. But now, like with social media and influencers who advocate for epilepsy awareness, I think people are hearing more accurate information and more often about epilepsy. But even though there's still like a lot of fear and stigma around it. So I think just talking about it like we're doing here, and thank you so much, mm-hmm. Kathy, um, it helps to, to dispel some of the myths, which is really important. So just a couple of quick facts. I mean, there's a million things to say, but here's a few things. Um, first of all, epilepsy isn't contagious. You can't catch it. It's neurological, and it's way more common than you might think. Um, I just read this the other day that epilepsy is more common than autism, Parkinson's, MS, and cerebral palsy combined. Wow. Which I had no idea. I know. That's what I said. <laughs> or some, something like that. Yeah, um, or something and, like that. Yeah. And I think, I think people know this one, but I'm just going to mention it just in case. Mm-hmm. You should never put something in the mouth of someone who's having a seizure if you think you're going to prevent them from swallowing their tongue. It is impossible to swallow your tongue. Kathy, I challenge you to try it. <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. I've heard that, that you should do that. Oh, that's no, so interesting. No, you should not. That can break teeth and, and cause damage, so do not do that. And finally, just because your grandchild has epilepsy, it doesn't mean that you can never look after them. When grandparents are shown how to implement their grandchild's seizure management plan, it's just so helpful to have another set of hands on deck and someone who loves your child as much as you do. So those are a few of the facts. That's a really good point. So uh, speaking about grandparents, so if I am a grandparent who's discovered that that I'm going to be um, watching, you know, a child with epilepsy, Mm -hmm. what important information do I need to learn and what strategies can I apply in order to keep them safe when when in my care? Well, full disclosure, it took me years before I was comfortable enough to let my daughter sleep over at my parents' house without me. But my parents are really amazing and so invested in learning everything they can about keeping Avery safe. Um, And I'm not going to lie, there's a very small list of people that I fully trust leaving her with, but Grandma and Papa are totally at the top of the list, because I just know that they're fully capable. They're probably, I'm going to say they're more attentive than even I am. So it's awesome, because, you know, my husband and I can go out for dinner, or we can, you know, even go away for the weekend, right? And we know that she's being well taken care of. But it did take me a while to get there. I agree with you, Lisa. On, yeah. I take, I think I take more care to make sure my grandkids are safe than I probably did with my four kids who were just everywhere. So, oh, yeah. yeah, like we, we, uh, we love that trust that you put in us as grandparents, especially so in a situation like this. 
Yeah, it's the grandparents are the bomb. They really are. They are on it. So um, there's a couple of things that we did to get Avery's grandparents up to speed. And there are a couple of things that, you know, grandparents can do. First of all, and this sounds slightly odd, but ask Hmm. to see videos of your grandchild's seizures Hmm. if your parents, if the parents have them. Um, so that you can learn to recognize the different types of seizures because they don't all look the same. And not all mm-hmm. seizures are those, you know, big ones. I just did air quotes. Um, the grand mal seizures, or they're now called tonic colonics, because maybe your child, like Avery, has absent seizures, which are a lot harder to spot because they're very, they can be very quick. And sometimes you just think they're staring off into space or whatever. But it's just really helpful to, to know what you're watching out for. And then this one's super important make sure that seizure meds are given on time and correctly. And my mom, my mom has alarms set on her phone to remind her. Yeah. And so, I mean, even when she's at my house, she'll be like looking <laughs> over my shoulder and she's like, uh, Lisa, it's uh, time for Aries four o'clock. Good old grandma. <laughs> They're always on duty. And I think my best advice would be to have an updated seizure care plan. So that would be written by your grandchild's parents and also actually know where it is. So whenever you're looking after your grandchild, you have that nearby. The plan would have information like seizure history, like what kind of, what kind of seizures do they have and how often do they have them? And have a list of known triggers to avoid because they're not the same for everyone. Like some might be like flashing lights or certain foods or stress or being overtired or dehydrated or things like that. And include emergency contacts like doctors, neurologist, mom and dad's numbers, in case you don't know them off by hand, um, and include the child's birth date, their height, their weight, and a list of medications and the doses for those. Plus, include a review of what to actually do during a seizure. I mean, it's always important for grandparents to learn like basic first aid for emergencies like choking or falls or whatever, but also for seizures. And that information should be laid out explicitly in the plan, plus any other important factors. Like our plan says, if her seizure lasts longer than three minutes, give rescue meds. And then we say, you know, one pill inside the mouth between the cheek and gum. And if it doesn't stop it within five minutes, call 911. And then under that bolded, if in doubt, always call emergency services. You will never get in trouble for calling for help. And Oh, sorry, just, and back to the rescue meds, mm-hmm. just for just a quick sec. Everyone in our family has this little canister thingy on our keychains, and inside there are two doses of the rescue meds, so that all of us, and my parents included, always have them on us at all times. And I think I just want to say that at the end of the day, you just need to trust the seizure plan and just enjoy your grandkids and spoil them rotten like any other grandkid. Like epilepsy can definitely feel very scary and overwhelming, but if you know what to do, it'll be okay. Well, you've given a great deal of comfort, I think, to a lot of grandparents right now, Lisa. So thank you so much. And if we want to listen to your podcast, of course, we can go to A Very Bright Life and we can find you on social media at Lisa Thornbury or A Very Bright Life Podcast. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Thank you, Kathy. And thanks for helping to educate and spread awareness. We really appreciate it. John Fleet is the Senior Director for Business Risk and Governance at RBC Automotive Finance. The business provides financial services and point-of-sale purchase finance for the Canadian automotive, RV, and marine industries. John joined RBC in 2010 after a 20-year career in the Canadian Armed Forces, where he specialized in the command and maneuver of tank and armored reconnaissance forces. John served in Somalia, 
Bosnia and Afghanistan. Welcome to the studio, John. Oh, thank you very much, Kathy. It's great to be here. This is a great and special Take 5 with RBC interview, especially leading up to Remembrance Day. So you served in the Canadian Armed Forces for 20 years. So what memories come to your mind as Remembrance Day approaches? Well, it's always a special time of year for us. Um, the, the memories are mainly about uh, the people. So it's a very close-knit community. You do some very interesting work. You end up in unusual circumstances, and it, it makes for some very strong bonds with your friends and your colleagues. So first and foremost, I, I remember people who aren't with us anymore. And so, um, unfortunately, there's uh, a good number of them. It's also shared experiences. So as I mentioned, you do do things that the average Canadian doesn't. Um, you see a lot of trauma. You see what the big bad world is like. You see the very best in people. Um, you also see the very worst in people. And uh, you you just remember those those circumstances and those events. Um, the last thing I'd say is, is uh, although it's uh, particularly somber at this time of year and uh, you go through a particular amount of reflection, I would also say as a veteran is that that's an everyday occurrence. It's not something that we uh, park for November the 11th. It's we wake up in the morning with that in our mind and there's people that we uh, think about sort of perpetually, if you will. You made the transition from military to civilian life about a dozen years or so ago. Can you share some of the challenges but also also some of the satisfactions from that journey? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a difficult decision. So mm-hmm. I left the military after 20 years uh, with no regrets whatsoever. I'm very proud of the service that I gave to the country, the work that I did and the people that I did that work with. It was just the right decision for me and for our family at the time. What I found is, first of all, I'd come from very isolated communities. So a lot of the military bases, particularly in Canada, are in uh, remote communities relative to, to most of the population. I didn't know what normal people did for a living. I didn't know what was on the menu. And so before leaving the military, I went back to school, uh, I got a business degree, and that helped me understand what's out there. During that business degree, it helped me understand that uh, a lot of what I had learned and a lot of the experiences I had were very translatable to the private sector. The difficulty is, is other people don't necessarily appreciate that or see that. And in particular, what I find is people coming out of the military are very, very strong on what I'd call soft skills, so decision-making, leadership, communications. These are things that uh, take a lifetime of investment and are firmly anchored on on values. I find that companies in Canada have a lot of empathy for veterans and there's a lot of very positive sentiment, but hiring decisions aren't made at the Mm. top of the house and they're not made by HR departments. They're made by individual managers that are looking for specific sets of hard skills. And it's those hard skills that the the veteran community uh, lacks. So sometimes it can be very, very difficult difficult to get looked at in the first instance uh, and, mm-hmm. and just get into the door. And, and uh, I guess the success for that is, you know, it's the, the successes have all come since landing at RBC. RBC has been very good for me. I've been encouraged over the years to put a lot of thought into where I want that career journey to go. Um, and uh, none of that has ever come to pass. And instead, I've always uh, landed in opportunities that I couldn't have imagined. And so it's been a very dynamic career for me and a very rewarding one. Uh, it wouldn't have started, however, if it wasn't for a military colleague of mine who was already in the bank who opened doors for me. And so this individual, a good friend of mine named Mark, 
he spoke to the executive in question and said, you know, you should have a look at this guy. And then that gave me the foot in the door uh, that I needed to get started. Well, I'm sure they're pleased to have you there. So what advice might you have for employers, veterans, or our audience, and what can they do to help bring down some of those obstacles that you mentioned? Yeah, I'd I'd say, first of all, for veterans, uh, you have to be very clear on what you want out Mm -hmm. of life. And so for myself, my ambitions were very humble in the first instance. I just wanted a good job. I wanted to (laughs) pay the bills and put my kids through school. But when your aspirations are that broad, it's very difficult for people to help you. So the more specific you can be about the geography, the the industry, the role, the function that you want to play in an organization and how you can add value, then people around you can bring more help. I think for employers, it's important to make that connection between the sentiment of the enterprise and the hiring decision of the individual manager. So managers need to be supported. They also need to be incented and they need access to resources. The gentleman that I spoke about started a national network working group called Trouble Victor, and that group can be uh, contacted to help advise managers on how to make better use of, of veteran talent. And for your audience, I'd say they've got a very powerful network themselves. They, mm-hmm. Some of them are business owners. Some of them have uh, very uh, long and, and uh, successful careers. Make those networks available. Make yourself available for mentorship and coaching. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, your personal story with us, John. And thank you so much for your service. We all do truly appreciate that. And we'll be thinking not only on Remembrance Day, but every day of those um, who have served our country. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing this very inspiring story. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate that. One of the marvelous things about community is that it enables us to welcome and help people in a way that we couldn't as individuals. Jean Vanier. Thanks to Emily and Mike and Lisa and John for being a part of our community today. The grandparent community is a strong one and getting stronger thanks to individuals like these. Next week on GoToGrandma, we are taking a peek behind the scenes in more ways than one. Have you always hankered to be rich and famous? Author Paul Burton is back on the show to talk about his latest book, Misfortune and Fame, 10 Reasons You Don't Want to Be Rich or Famous. I loved reading this book full of facts and anecdotes about the people we sometimes envy. Me, not so much after reading this book. Then we open some doors as I talk with the Doors Open Ontario folks about their program, which allows us to see behind the closed doors of some of Ontario's greatest heritage buildings. From the Elgin and Winter Garden Theatre to the Apothecary in Niagara-on-the-Lake, we'll hear about how they are fueling tourism while passing down the history of some of Ontario's most interesting and historic sites. And, as usual, our Take 5 with RBC interview will provide you with up-to-date financial advice you can use. Thanks for coming by today. I truly do appreciate it. And I'd appreciate it if you could show that appreciation by giving us a rating or a download on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcast. Tune in next week at 7.30 a.m. on Zoomer Radio if you want to hear it first. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at Kathy This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.